Welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast, episode 15 on the year, and these are flying. We're already most of the way through May. Guys, the summer's coming. The dog days will be here. I am joined alongside with Ben Mandel and John Pauline, and we are getting into the dog days of summer. They're coming, and they're coming quick. With that being said, we have some news to talk about. The dog days of summer, as I keep saying, it's the hardest part of the baseball season. Just the, the weather's hot. Everything seems to start dragging. Teams and players tend to make questionable decisions because of uh, baseball field-induced heat stroke. I don't know. Just a lot of questionable moves. And one of those questionable moves that we're starting to see pop up, just because it's a long season, is the Blue Jays. They went to talk to Alec Manoa, their star pitcher. That was uh, Schneider, their manager. Went to go talk to him. And then went to go talk to him again. Second time in the same inning. They went to go talk to him twice, and based on the baseball rules, you go talk to him a second time in the same inning, you have to take him out. And they didn't realize that, so they took him out a lot earlier than they expected. This is something that you, you need to know, you need to think through. Somebody in the dugout has to be like, hey, the manager's going out there again to talk to him. We should either stop him or you know, make sure we have somebody up in the bullpen because – it's a, it's a multifaceted uh, thing to get things going. It's not a one-man job. It's, it takes a village to run a team, and you need to be paying attention to these types of things. What do you guys think about the brain fart that the Blue Jays uh, dugout had? We had Pete Walker, their pitching coach, in there. Don Mattingly, who's been a manager forever as their bench coach. Somebody needs to pick up on these things. It's unacceptable, honestly. It is unacceptable, for a mistake like that to happen in a major league baseball game. Now, at least it was later on and it wasn't like in the second or third inning, but Alec Manoa was a guy who they've been needing to get going, finally putting together a good start and they go and pull this. It's absolutely atrocious, terrible managing and, one of the worst mistakes you can make because now it puts you in a position where you don't have a pitcher ready. How do you do this? You, It's not like this is a new rule. It's not like this is something that hasn't been in play for years. It's, it's a known fact. When you go out for a second mound visit in the same inning, the pitcher is done. And I don't know what the Blue Jays were thinking. I don't know what they were doing. I don't understand what the conversation or thought process was, why they went out there for a second time. Did they forget they went out there a first time? But absolutely atrocious. And really, just what are you doing? If I was the general manager, I'd honestly contemplate getting rid of the entire coaching staff. And I'd be calling them in for a meeting because that is horrendous you cannot make that kind of mistake and that's the kind of move that maybe loses you a game but more importantly could lose you a locker room that's pretty harsh I, I don't know if I'd go that far but it's definitely a mistake that you can't make especially at this level but let's move on to some happy news something that you know a team made the right decision and that's the Yankees DFAing outfielder Aaron Hicks now, I'm ecstatic about this. Although he's been the longest tenured position player as a Yankee, he's somebody that's kind of got the ire of fans for years now. And I don't know how it works in your fan bases. 
although I'm assuming it's kind of similar, Yankee fans like to focus on one or two players on the major league roster and just push all their hatred towards that one or two people. We saw it with like Joey Gallo and we've seen it with Hicks in the past. It's been still Hicks. IKF was kind of moving himself away from that limelight, but he's gotten that too. Hicks is gone. The Yankees are still on the hook for a few more millions of dollars for a couple more years, but we needed the roster spot when we traded for Greg Allen and his next second stint with the Yankees. But, you know, it's a move that needed to happen. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. It hurts, but you had to do it. And let's not act like Hicks didn't do anything great for the Yankees. He was there for eight years, and he had some big moments, hitting a home run against Houston in the playoffs to tie it, a walk-off home run last year against Houston to win a game that we never should have won. Hicks also made some boneheaded plays. There's that play against Tampa last season where he dropped a pop-up as he's running towards the foul line. And he just stood there watching it while everybody's rounding the bases and allowed two runs to score. He thought it was foul. I don't know. But that's just something you can't happen. You can't have a player looking at a ball he dropped instead of rushing to get the ball in. But Hicks Hicks was good. He made that diving catch against Minnesota in the 14th inning with Chad Green pitching a couple of years ago to win the game. There are some good moments, so you have to take the good with the bad but it is best for both sides to end the uh, working relationship and move on. And I hope Hicks latches on somewhere, somewhere where it doesn't affect us at all, but somewhere where he can still get some playing time and play because you never want to see anybody's career fizzle out the way Hicks has had, Hicks had with injuries and all that. Look, it's tough. And when you look at Aaron Hicks, it's important to look at what you just said, Corey, eight years with the New York Yankees. How many guys are actually able to put together eight-year-long careers? So, yes, obviously, you are going to have some brain fart bad moments in there. Hicks had some great ones, though, to go along with it. It was time. It was time to rip off the Band-Aid. I think Cashman liked Hicks a little bit too much. This probably should have happened a year or two ago. Hicks did still have a couple of moments here and there over the last couple of years, but it definitely was time and the right move for the New York Yankees. Yeah, I don't know about a couple of years ago because there's still contract stuff. You're not going to release him in 2020. They still thought he was able to play. If you want to argue at some point last year, there's an argument. But even now, it's still a lot earlier than a lot of people projected just because they still owe him a lot of money. But this also comes a week after uh, Hal Steinbrenner talked about willing to keep and take on dead money if it makes the roster better. And moving on from Hicks does make the roster better. The Dodgers, their pitching depth is shot. They have no health. Urias, Bueller, May, Pepwa, Grove, Trinan, Hudson, Reyes, Fireisen. They're all hurt, and those are all major contributors to the Dodgers. They only have in their rotation of note, they have Kershaw, Gonsolin, and Syndergaard. Kershaw is older, has dealt with injuries in the past, but he's still having a fantastic year. Gonsolin, he was good last year. Before last year, he was a nobody, and he was dealing with injuries this year. Syndergaard, he's got no balls. He's got no fire in him. Syndergaard makes me irrationally angry because when you dodge a team and don't want to play against them, much like David Price has done against the Yankees numerous times in his career, you can't be an alpha. You don't get to be and talk like you're a big, strong guy. You know what I mean? He doesn't get to have that, like, 
macho man personality that like that he likes to portray. He's soft. He's weak. Syndergaard's going to go down as one of the most feckless players in baseball history, I think, at this point. So he's a non he's like a non-factor in my mind. I hope nothing but like I don't want to say the worst, but like he doesn't deserve to play well with some of the actions and shots he's taken in the past. So with those three guys anchoring down your rotation, it might be panic time for the Dodgers if they can't get some of these guys back fast. Yeah, look, it's not ideal. I think for the Dodgers' sake, they're in good shape right now, so they're not panicking too much. But I do know that with Syndergaard, yeah, you know what? It is one of the biggest wastes of talent, especially the way he started his career. Now, talking about a former Dodger, also hurt, we're going to go Manny Machado on the IL for the first time since 2014 with a fractured hand. He's somebody who's kind of been uh, having a rough go of it. The Padres as a team have been struggling mightily. He's been a big part of that, just not really doing it, especially after signing that big long-term deal with the Padres again. It's just not a good look for Machado. He's always had been somebody that's been labeled lazy. He doesn't run hard through the bases. He looks like he's pretty lackadaisical, and this injury is just not going to help his image. Ben, your Mets made a good move. They called up Mark Vientos. What are you expecting out of Vientos? Because that's a it's a really smart move to really keep with the youth movement and inject some life into what was a kind of dead Mets roster. Yeah, and before the season, we talked about Vientos and Beatty, and when was their time? Well, the thought process was coming into the season, and still is, that this is a win-now team. I know they've struggled, but guys like Eduardo Escobar aren't getting the job done. So let's bring up Vientos and see what he can do. I love the move and an instant spark from Mark Vientos. He was instantly able to spark this club with a home run. And not only that, I think he sparked Francisco Alvarez as well. He made the switch to Bad Bunny Sports Agency, and he made some big plays that day as well. Now, we've got a couple more things to talk about before our big hot button topic about the Yankees. I want to tease that a little bit. The Orioles, they've had the best record in the major leagues since April 16th, and that's a shock. They've played really, really well. They're a team that people expected to be better, but not to this extent. Now, it's still early technically, but it gets late real early in baseball. And if the Orioles keep playing at this level, they're going to be a team to beat come down the stretch in the later days of summer into the early fall. Zach Gallen, one of the premier pitchers in the National League, did his best Randy Johnson impression, hitting a bird during warmups, making the bird go poof out of nowhere. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the video, look that one up. It's just one of those things that, like, you you know you're a D-back when that happens. You know what I mean? It's one of the things that it's, – it's sad because the animal does get hurt, but just the timing and everything having to work out to hit a bird mid-flight with a ball, not even trying – it's pretty crazy and incredible. But today's hot button topic, are the Yankees cheating? We have Judge peering into what appeared to be the dugout before hitting a home run against the Blue Jays earlier in the week. Then Domingo Herman getting tossed for sticky stuff. And then Clark Schmidt against the, Ray, uh, the Reds a few games later has to be made to wash his hands due to a foreign substance or object on his glove hand. 
what do you guys make of this before we go into a little bit more depth on what each incident was? Well, first, I do want to say, because especially with the glove fuzz on the glove hand, my glove was like that. So I had to deal with that. I completely get that. I don't see an issue with them making him wash his hands because there's no harm, no foul. But look, the other stuff, I think people are just looking into this too much. We already knew this was going on with Herman. They clearly let it slide before. Not this time. The judge stuff, ignore it. I'm with Ben. Just kind of ignore it. You know, don't look into too much. I mean, it's going to happen throughout the season. It's a long season. I mean, I'm still going to go over, ask pitchers to wash their hands, throw pitchers out for sticky substances, you know, maybe or maybe not sticky substances. Maybe, you know, I'm just get a little too power happy sometimes, you know, and the judge thing, I think you was just looking at the dugout. I don't think it was anything nefarious about it and just happened to hit a home run. I don't think there's anything to it. It's it's tough because you kind of get labeled it. And I also want to have a, a talk about if the Blue Jays broadcasters did the right thing and not only bringing attention to it, but alluding that there might be something nefarious going on. Now, I personally think bringing it up is fine, but there should actually be consequences for the Blue Jays broadcasters by saying, you know, we're not saying that there's anything going on, but because you're labeling a team cheaters, especially not apologizing after the fact once it's proven that one, the Blue Jays pitchers were tipping pitches. Alejandro Kirk was tipping pitch location. A lot of legal stuff. You can't go around calling teams cheaters. And then when you're proven to be wrong, doubling down instead of apologizing and backing off, I think baseball missed a big opportunity to kind of quell a lot of this stuff because what does somebody, what does it stop? If somebody wants to say, yeah, you know, the the Rays are doing pretty well. A lot of their mediocre hitters are playing much better to than their careers have shown. Maybe they're cheating and doing something. I don't know. I'm just asking questions, right? How does that, like Evan Roberts on WFAN did a lot of that and he got a lot of hate for it, but he's not a broadcaster. But if Michael K were to start saying that, where does the line stop? You have to know as a journalist and as a broadcaster, what's okay and what's not okay. Questions are okay, but hot hot button topics and questions that kind of push a fan base into thinking a certain way, trying to create a rivalry that just isn't there. There needs to be consequences because you can't just say that stuff and expect it to just be forgotten and you to be innocent. The Blue Jays broadcast crew is just as guilty as anybody, especially because they were saying the next day that the Blue Jays pitcher needs to throw at Judge's head. I don't know if you guys saw that too. They were saying that Gausman needs to send the Yankees and Judge a message in his next at bat saying that he needs some chin music, but making the music in the base hit a little bit, if you know what I mean. So it just gets me frustrated that People found it to be almost a funny incident because the Yankees weren't cheating and Judge hit a bunch of home runs. But it's dangerous, especially once you talk about headhunting and a lot of that stuff. And these are people that should know better. Corey, you have a little brother. So you know what the little brother concept is like. That is what it is for the Toronto Blue Jays with the Yankees. Now, I think this highlights, though, a bigger issue with Major League Baseball, and it's Rob Manfred. 
he has let the integrity of the league come into question so much and so badly that there is literally constant questioning if someone is cheating. And that is atrocious, and that is horrible that the league has gone in this direction. And really, that is my takeaway from this. You know what? You can say whatever you want about the Blue Jays broadcasters, but it's it's not even just them. It's everybody everywhere constantly accusing everyone in some way of cheating. Look at that's accusing the Padres back in the wild card round last year. They have been doing it pretty much since this Astros scandal, and there were no consequences or punishments. Everyone just thinks everybody is cheating at this point. There is no trust and no faith in the integrity of this game anymore, and it's very upsetting. The thing is, even if like teams were cheating and got, got caught cheating, like it seems like there's no punishments anyway. Like there's no punishments given out anyway. So I mean, even if there were repercussions, like what are you? What are like? It seems like they don't want to do anything. It almost seems like Manfred and is is okay with teams cheating and just lets them off with a slap on the wrist or a little to nothing. And even if like the players, I mean, you know, want to retaliate, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not for you know throwing you know, balls at people's heads and stuff. But I mean, if you want to like, you know, if you get, if they get caught cheating, proven cheating, I mean, like if the MLB is not going to police it, like, you know, the players have to police it. So it's just, you know, what are you going to do? But like the integrity of the game is just so far gone now after that Astros incident. And it just seems like there's, it just seems like there's been little to nothing done to kind of like to bring the integrity back into the game. Integrity died the day Manfred said, no Astros will be punished. The Astros issue really gutted everything that made baseball great. But we spent a lot of time on this. The Yankees didn't cheat. They're not cheating. And nothing will be done about the uh, the issues that prevail because the league doesn't want to take into their hands issues like this. But let's move on and talk about some studs and duds from this past week, some players that played really well and some that didn't. For me, my stud, Braxton Garrett, Marlins starting pitcher. He went 11 in a third innings. He only gave up four hits and one earned run, two walks, and he struck out 16 in 11 and a third. He had a really good week, and I wanted to highlight somebody who, in my fantasy league, at least in our fantasy league, he's not even owned. He's unowned. He's a streamer pitcher. His next start does take place in Colorado, so that might give a little pause to stream him there, but... This week, he was the highest performing fantasy player in all of baseball. So I want to shout out him. My dud, the opposite end of that spectrum, the lowest performing player in fantasy baseball, former Yankee, Garrett Cole's best friend, Jamison Tyone. The Cubs starting pitcher, he went seven innings this week, 0-1 record, 13 hits, 16 earned runs, four walks and two strikeouts. Just an abysmal performance. And he's just another in the short list of Yankees who are not succeeding outside the Bronx. But, John, let me hear you and your stud and dud. So my stud this week is the MLB RBI leader with 49 RBIs, Adolis Garcia, the Texas Rangers. Last seven games, he's had eight hits, five home runs, 12 RBIs, and has been bad in 308. He's just been having an absolute just monster of a year. And I think it's been a big part of why the Rangers have been doing so well this year. 
And now my dud this week is Zach Allen. He's been he's had a pretty decent year up until now. This probably was his last week's probably his worst start all year. He only went about 3.2 innings, got the loss, gave up eight hits, five runs, and only had two strikeouts. But you know, other than that, you know, one little hiccup in the game. But I still think, you know, still solid, you know, maybe second best pitcher in the league, but just not a good week for him. All right, Ben, hit me with it. Who's your stud and who's your dud? So my stud and dud, both going to stay with the New York Mets here. And my stud is Kodai Senga. He's really been one of the more consistent pieces in the Mets rotation this past week against Tampa Bay. Six innings, three hits, did allow three walks, but 12 strikeouts. He was able to earn a no decision fantastic performance against Tampa Bay, one of the better lineups, one of the harder teams to strike out, and Senga ended up going out there and getting those strikeouts. This is a guy who's pitched very well for the New York Mets this season and this week. My dud, it's going to be Brandon Nimmo, and it's very rare for the Mets to have a solid week like they have against two good teams in the American League in Tampa Bay and Cleveland, but Nimmo went just four for 27, All four of those hits were singles, scoring just three runs and one walk. No extra base hits, not really getting on base, not a Brandon Nimmo-type week that we're used to seeing. Yeah, the Mets, good and bad. And I do want to ask you, Ben, about the Mets. What is going on with them? They seem to be playing better of late. Yeah, and look. Here's the most important thing to realize when you have a 162-game season. It's never as good as it seems, but it's also never as bad as it seems. And I said this all year last year when the Mets were rolling through everything, but then the Braves were surging. And I said, look, I'm a little worried about Atlanta. And, you know, look, Atlanta ended up catching them. The Mets still played great and won 100 games, but look, it's never as good as it seems. And look, this past stretch where they've just been atrocious, can't win a series. Now they went back-to-back series against, again, two teams that we view as quality teams in Cleveland and Tampa Bay. And all of a sudden, the vibes are right back up. So, look, things do look up for the Mets. It wasn't as bad as that previous stretch. They weren't getting any pitching. I think, you know, they sent David Peterson down. We'll see exactly what's going on. The thought process is someone's going to get the boot when Carrasco returns soon. It's probably going to be McGill, even though McGill went out and pitched well his last time out. So really, it is just a wait and see with the Mets. It's a tough month of June coming up. But hey, if they play well, we've seen this past week, the reason why the excitement and the vibes are back is because we're seeing that fight and that resilience that we saw all year last year. The comeback hits, the bench mob. People getting it done. Let's see if that happens again this year. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Another team I want you to kind of give me some thoughts on, though. You had the Marlins in your top 10 this week. That will be out on the website tomorrow on Monday. But, Ben, what's with the Marlins in your top 10? That's an interesting decision. Yeah, and look, the Marlins, this is the thought process. Seven and three in their last 10. 
five and one this week, jumping into second in the National League East, and they have the fourth most wins in the National League. I don't think there's any question that this is a top 10 team in baseball right now, especially the way they're hitting the ball. I think they have the most underrated lineup in baseball, not necessarily from a power standpoint, but they do a lot of what we saw the Mets do last year, and that's get hits, timely hitting, and hit with runners in scoring position. But also with your top 10, I do want to know how come the Braves fell a little bit, but the Rays did not after both having very similarly poor weeks. I think it's more along the lines of the fact that the Braves are four and six in their last 10. Tampa Bay is five and five. I know that's not a big difference. Like you said, similar, but Tampa Bay, after losing that series to the Mets, took care of business, taking the first two from Milwaukee in that series. And, you know, for the Braves, they're no longer the second best record in the National League. And I'm sorry, they're no longer the best record in the National League, and they're no longer the second best record in all of baseball. The Dodgers have jumped them there. There are other teams in the American League that have pushed past them like Baltimore. So I think that's where that drop comes from. For Tampa Bay's sake, they've still held on to that top mantle. So while, yeah, they've been playing average, they have been playing atrocious, they've still been doing enough to win and keep themselves around the top. If the mediocrity continues, that's when we see that slip. Now, John, I do want you to kind of piggyback off of that because you didn't have any movement for the Rays and Braves. So what led to your thinking with that? I just personally still think the Rays and Braves are still the two best teams in baseball. I mean... I would say they had a little hiccup, you know, this past week, but I don't think it's, I think it's just a bump in the road. I don't think it's enough for them to, you know, either of them to move up or down in the rankings at all this week, you know, not playing, you know, the best baseball they've been playing like so far this year, but I just, I don't think it's enough to warrant, you know, you know, them moving down or, you know, getting jumped by somebody. I almost put the Dodgers ahead of the Braves, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it this week. For me, the Dodgers still have to prove it this week, and I'm hoping you know they play the Braves later on this week. So I think that might that'll decide for me, you know, who if the Braves stay where they are or if the Dodgers jump them. Now, also last week you were pretty high on the Phillies. They're your team. You had them in your top ten. Not so much this week. So what's going on in Phillies world for you? What's up with them? Why did they fall out? And just in general, how are they playing the last week? I really thought the Phillies were starting to figure stuff out with, you know, with Bryce Harper coming back and Suarez coming back. It's But it just seems like, you know, one week they go from having, you know, one really good week, then they have one really bad week. It's just, they just can't seem to stay consistent with anything. They can't seem to stay consistent with good pitching. They can't seem to stay consistent with hitting. It's like, you know, it's like one week they have really good pitching, one week, and one week they have really good pitching, and then, they can't hit the ball one week. They have really good hitting, but they can't pitch and they they'll give up like 10, 16 runs in a game. And it's just getting frustrated. I'm not really sure what's going on right now. I think a big part of it is I think they got to get Trey Turner straight because he's just, he just seems to, he's just striking out a lot. I think he has like 40 strikeouts on the year already, which is insane for him. It is insane for him. And he's batting under 300 and that's just very uncharacteristic of him. You know, I'm starting to wonder if the WBC, you know, tired him out 
and he might need some some rest to get straight. But it's just I don't know what's up with the Phillies, and I'm starting, you know, I'm getting close to hitting the panic button here soon because it just seems like they can't figure it out. And I just I don't know if they could. I don't. I'm starting to think they can. They might not even be able to make a the wild card this year. It's tough, but there's still a lot of talk. There's still a long way to go. Guys, what are your thoughts, though, on Baltimore and then to extension Miami, two teams that, you know, they're kind of surprising people. I know, Ben, you touched them, touched on them earlier, but just in general, do you guys think they can keep up this pace, especially Baltimore? I like Baltimore from the beginning of the season. I was really high on them, and I thought they were going to do really good. I think they just have a really good young team, and I think they are absolutely for real, and I think – I would write them down as a playoff contender right now. Uh, the Marlins surprised me more. I didn't think they were going to be as good as they are now, but I guess I didn't think like you know the the Phillies were going to be as bad as they are. But I think the, the Marlins have good pitching, and like Ben was saying, they have like an underrated lineup. But I mean, I think it wouldn't be a surprise to me if they sneak in there in a wild card spot and actually are for real. Yeah, I think the Marlins might end up falling off a little bit, but Baltimore is a team I think that just has the makings of a Cinderella run come the postseason. I think they should definitely be in the mix in September. Another question I have for you guys, though, are the Yankees, Astros, and Mets, are they back? These were three of the highest-ranked teams coming into the season. Are all three back or one back, two back? Because I think uh, I think all three are on their way to being back and being a powerhouse this season. I wouldn't put the Mets in the powerhouse category, but I'd certainly put them back into playoff contenders. I think I wouldn't necessarily write them in as a playoff team just yet. I still think that they need a lot to prove a lot more. I want to see more out of Francisco Lindor. I know he had the big win, uh, game-winning hit against Cleveland, his former team. That was awesome to see on Friday night. But when you look at the other two teams, the Astros and Yankees, there's more injuries that were causing their struggles and guys returning. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. For the Mets, there doesn't seem to be a pitcher coming on the horizon. Yeah, you know, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are healthy, but when we considered them powerhouses at the beginning of the season, it was because we were expecting Verlander and Scherzer to be Cy Young caliber pitchers, and we're not seeing that type of play from them. So that's where I would necessarily say Maybe Houston and New York, two of those three. But the Mets, no. Yankees, Astros, yes. I think all three are back. I think the Mets are in the same tier as them. And the Mets are the healthiest, I believe, out of all three teams. Maybe Houston's getting there a little bit. But the Mets are a powerhouse. They deserve to be in the same statement. I think they will start playing better and rising up the ranks. But let's move on, though, to some series highlights. One series I think is a big deal coming up this week, the Diamondbacks at the Phillies. The Diamondbacks are a team that has played really well this year, and they're going to the Phillies, who were just in the World Series last season. The Phillies need to start bouncing back. The Diamondbacks need to show that they can keep playing at a high level. So this is a series that is big for both teams because if the Diamondbacks play well, it's just another uh, feather on their cap, another good team that has gone deep in October that the Diamondbacks are playing against well. And if the Phillies are able to knock down the Diamondbacks, it could be the start of something big to turn things around in Philadelphia and get the Phillies back to where they want to be. 
But what about you guys? What series kind of stick out to you this week? I'm going with Juan Soto's second return to D.C. The Padres start the week off in D.C. at the nation's capital against the Nationals. Soto did return to Washington just 10 days after the trade last year, so this feels like more of a real homecoming. There's been more time to settle things down, and Soto's been able to really acclimate with his new team. I know you won't see the tributes this time around, but I am excited to see how this time around goes for Juan Soto back against his former team. My weekly highlight game is going to be the Dodgers at the Braves. It's going to be like the two best National League teams against each other. You know, it's going to really be a fight for, you know, the best national, you know, who's the best National League team and who's the second best team in the league. Now, before we start to wrap things up, I do want to ask you guys, if we could be seeing a New York, New York MVP race, Aaron Judge has been on a tear recently. Pete Alonso has been hot all season, leading the league in home runs. Could we see a race between two of New York's best? And could they both possibly win the MVP in their respective leagues? Because that is something that would be pretty exciting to watch later on in the season. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure the Mets have never won an MVP. So college, they have not in. So that would be something special alone. If Pete is able to do that. And I think if he leads the league in home runs, he's going to put himself in the conversation for it. I think he would have been in the conversation for it in 2019. If he wasn't a rookie and wasn't already going to win rookie of the year. I think oftentimes it's kind of a shame when you're a rookie. I think judge could have won MVP his rookie year as well. So, I mean, obviously Altuve won it. Obviously, you know, for Pete, he wasn't even in the conversation. But when you have a season like Pete Alonso is having right now and the way he is on a trajectory for, it's something special. He is truly the driving force of the New York Mets. So I think we really could see this because obviously, you know, Judge is going to be in the conversation on the American League side as well, along with Shohei Otani. I think barring injuries from both players, I think it's a very high possibility you might see them both win MVP. And has has is there any been has like has there any been thing like that where you have a MVP from you know two different leagues in the same state win a same city or same state win MVP? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Although back in the days when the Giants and Dodgers were in New York, I'm sure there was either a combination of a Yankee and a Dodger or a Yankee and a Giant. Maybe Yogi Berra and Jackie Robinson both won MVPs in the same season, possibly. I'm not sure. Even, but that, but even with the Angels-Dodgers star power, I feel like the last 10 years, it wouldn't have been surprising if one of them did it. Yeah, you're right. That I, I don't think the Cubs and White Sox ever got to that. But my last question before we really just wrap this up, who's a better hitter? Who would you guys rather on your team? between the judge and Alonzo, because I think that's a fun debate given how well they're both playing right now. In terms of a pure hitter standpoint, it's really hard to go against Aaron judge. I'm going to just because I have to rock with Pete Alonzo love the polar bear. I think he is the best bad ball hitter in the league. There isn't a pitch he can't hit out of the stadium, but the same could be said for judge. So really it's, it's a flip a coin. I am with Ben. It's almost a, like a flip of the coin there, but I think I would uh, take Judge over Alonzo, but I'd be happy with like either one on my team, honestly. 
like they're just both great hitters you know power and contact i mean both bat over 300 just just amazing fantastic hitters yeah they're both great i'm obviously rocking with judge and with that being said that's gonna do it here on the outsider sports baseball podcast keep it locked tune in every week for some baseball talk outsidersports.net twitter outsidersports3 youtube and tiktok search outsider sports have a good one